हेलो एवरीवन दिस इज कथक का चक्कर माय नेम इज प्रमित एंड दिस प्लेस इज डिजाइन टू बी अ सेंट्रल प्लेटफॉर्म टू ब्रिंग कॉन्वर्सेशंस विद कथकर्स अक्रॉस द ग्लोब सो या लेट्स जस्ट स्टार्ट दैन या लाबोनी मोहंता इज अ डिसाइपल ऑफ कथक मैस्ट्रो पंडित चुतेश दास शी बिगैन हर ट्रेनिंग इन कथक डांस एट द अर्ली एज ऑफ एट शी इज अ प्रोमिनेंट सोलो आर्टिस्ट हैविंग परफॉर्म कथक सोलोज टू ग्रेट अक्लेम इन डांस एंड म्यूजिक फेस्टिवल्स थ्रू आउट द यूनाइट स्टेट्स कैनेडा इंडिया बांग्लादेश एंड यूरोप लाबोनी हैज प्रेजेंटेड एट मेजर फेस्टिवल्स सच एज द स्टार्स ऑफ टमोरो फेस्टिवल इन कोलकाता North American Bengali Conference in San Francisco and Toronto and the New York Kathak Festival in New York City. She collaborates frequently with various musicians around the world. For example, recently with Oliver Rajmani, Flamenco India presented at Austin City Limits. Previously, Laboni toured extensively with the Stray Stars Dance Company. Chaitanya's uh, dance company and served as senior director and senior teacher at her guru's institution for many years. Laboni also conducts workshops and lecture demonstrations internationally, including in India, USA, Canada, France, and Ireland. Recently, Laboni has exp- established her own dance and school, Laboni Academy of Indian Arts, and teaches seventy students in California. She is also the dance director of the Toronto Tundo, uh, Toronto Tabla Ensemble, which is run by her guruji's brother, Pratesh uh, Dasi, and she perform and she regularly performs and choreographs for them. As a second-generation Indian based in America, Labuni plays a significant role in preserving the cultural heritage of India in the East and preserving those values in the West. She represents a new generation of high-caliber Indian classical artists. and continues the mission of promoting educating and thus preserving the rich heritage of kathak laboni di how are you good how are you pramit i am doing well and yeah just to start off uh, i like to tell everyone how i got to know about laboni di so i was reading saraji's book and that has like a list of videos you guys have to go you can go through throughout the book and in that when they present the nagma uh, laboni di actually sings that nagma so that's how i learned that in addition to like having great footwork she had a beautiful voice in fact uh, the first time i heard it my eyes kind of teared up and it still does when i listen to it every now and then wow. uh, and that's yeah and that's how i found out about lavanidi so i guess just starting off with uh, lavanidi since you were, uh yeah uh, based on previous conversations you worked as an actuary before and now you've transitioned full time how did you get to that point that you knew that you wanted to do kathak full time Yeah, so this is a really specific thing about me, I guess. Um I was an actuary and I don't want to say was, like part of me is always an actuary. Um I did my math major at UC Berkeley and um I love math, which is partly uh, also related to how I love Kathak too. There's actually so much math in Kathak, right? So anyway, I uh, I became an actuary and for many people who maybe don't know um especially in the arts field what an actuary is we do a uh, risk modeling mathematical modeling in for um events that are like uncertain so for example in insurance companies it's a big big uh thing because we have to ca- predict and calculate you know how people's um insure like 
hospital costs are coming and this kind of thing. Um, so, so I was doing that full time and it's, it's a pretty intense, uh, career. Uh, you have to take like million exams and, um, you know, when you're advancing in, in it and I was dancing at the same time. So I was also, um, doing that job full time. Then I was also the director of one of the centers of my Guruji's school at the same time, also teaching on the weekends, um, also part of his Jitrishtas dance company, and also trying to develop myself as a soloist in my solo career once I started doing that, like 10, 10 years ago or so. So so I was doing all this stuff. And, um, and it wasn't impossible. Obviously, I did it. But I, mm-hmm. of course, as you naturally, as you progress and grow in a career, you go deeper and you have to go higher and more forward, right? So you have more responsibilities and all this kind of thing. And so as that was happening, um, so after Guruji passed away, um, I actually started um, touring much more as a soloist and started doing, you know, collaborating with people, musicians and stuff. And, And it was, and I enjoyed it so much. And so I'd have to, you know, plan everything around my job uh, for rehearsals, uh, for the touring. I have to take any vacation time I had off. I would only save it for my tours. (laughs) Um, And uh, it was obviously getting difficult to put my creative energy into my art with with a full time job. So so three years ago now, I finally um, said, okay, let me let me just take this leap, you know? And I was thinking, I've been thinking about it for years and I just didn't know how to take that. It's a huge jump and leap to take. Right. And uh, a lot of faith that you need in your, in your, in yourself to, to step away from like a secure place of a, of a job and, and a regular life to being a dancer and not having any certainty there. So, um, but luckily I have very supportive family and parents and, you know, they, I talked to them throughout the year about it and, you know, they, um, said they would support that for me too. And, and so finally I just left that job (laughs) and started touring. And, um, I guess the rest is history, which we'll talk about here, but um, I, I started touring, I went to India for a while and then slowly, um, students started coming to me wanting to learn. And then, you know, it just went from there. Now I'm fully supporting myself in this, uh, in this career as a Kathak dancer, which is, which is like, I feel really honored and privileged to be able to do that. Understood. And Maybe this is a question that differs from person to person, but from you, since you come from a numbers perspective and you had a full and you a full time gig and then you transition to Kathak. Um, what would you say in terms of how many months of saving should a dancer have saved up before transitioning to full time, in your opinion? Oh, you mean financially speaking? Yes. <laughs> well, it depends on you know it, of course the support you have, like if you have, a, I, I, I basically moved home. So I was living on a, in a, um, you know, like downtown apartment in San Francisco right. by myself, like 
obviously that's very high cost of living right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I could afford it because of my job. So, mm-hmm. um, so be- because I had the, f- I did have savings, of course, I think it's, I mean, this is a standard rule of thumb, I guess people give you is to have like six months of savings uh, if you get laid off or something, you know, so yeah, so I mean, maybe that maybe a year is a little safer. The thing with because mm-hmm. art art form, it's it's like a long term investment, you know, right. um, you you don't see results for like years often. But the mm-hmm. thing is, I was already doing it professionally for many right. years. So I had a head start. So like mm-hmm. right away, I mean, I was getting students and like I have many students now, but but that's because I was already teaching for so many years. So mm-hmm. and and now like I can financially support myself with with that. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's for a dancer, I think if you want to financially support yourself, you do need some student base because it's a little different than musicians where, you know, they can just get a band together or be a soloist and touring mm-hmm. like every weekend you can have a concert right. and they do. Uh, many of the musicians I work with do uh, perform like every week, at least two, mm-hmm. once, twice a week or something. So they're like purely making their money from their concerts. But as a dancer, you, you're not like getting solo concerts is not like uh very frequent and common mm-hmm. or even your bigger productions they're not going to be like every week you know mm-hmm. maybe once or twice a year right so, um and then maybe you line up a few so you can't depend on your shows for, for income for a dancer for as much as i've seen any dancer you know in, in my mm-hmm. life like rare rarely do you uh depend on financial living from, from mm-hmm. shows you do for a dancer you do need some student base so so i think if if you if you have to be uh i think you have to be pretty senior too to have have a student base right otherwise right. otherwise students should go to the senior person um so so if you now if you have the family support Mm-hmm. Like, like your like your spouse or your parents or, mm-hmm. or I don't know who you stay with. I that is another way I see many dancers are able to flourish because they have uh, a lot of good emotional and financial support from their family, mm-hmm. and then they're able to do their dance and and all that stuff. And really, so you know, it's either kind of school support or family support or something, but. It's really hard to just get it from gigs or something. So awesome, yeah! And thank you for going through like the practical aspects and not just oh, quit your job, follow your passion, everything uh, yeah. will work out. So yeah, thank you for going through that. I do want to make the point that I did calculate uh, before yes. I quit. I did do a calculation. Mm-hmm. Okay, like if I if I'm able to get this income from this space, mm-hmm. this place in my dance, which is mainly the teaching, as I said, um, you know, uh, then how much does that fare? Can I live off that? Could I have my own place, you know, off that? Not just be with my parents, obviously, forever. Mm -hmm. Um, Can I, you know, so I, 
I did calculate that it's possible. So, you know, once you, you, you can go through that, and then if you have the motivation and heart and drive, the rest of it should should follow. Awesome. Awesome. And now that we have, now we've understood like the decisions that go behind, say, making this full time, I want to backtrack a bit. When you were, when you decided to become, say, a soloist, uh, how, uh, again, same line of questioning, how did you make that decision and how did you start to carve out your identity as Laboni Mohanta Pataka? Uh, when I first started? Yeah. To be so. Well, I mean, everything was kind of gradual. Um, mm-hmm. It was like, so I just, for me, like this art form is first a um, a spiritual journey for me, like okay. first and foremost, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, practicing, like I pretty much was just learning from Guruji for like a million years and did it right. form basically. Mm-hmm. And he also was not, he went through different phases and he was not into performing uh, the time that I was growing up with him Hmm. Um, because he, he was trying to adjust to what, what it means, like not just performing anywhere, but each performance should have an intention and a purpose, you know? Okay. So um, I think he was going through that. And so I didn't perform um, for that for many years until... Mm -hmm. You know, then when he basically was like, but when I be when I was an adult, became an adult, right? Mm. And then he said, you know, when are you going to do your solo? Like he felt I was ready. Like it was, it was not because I was like, I want to do that first solo, right? Um, and I didn't ever express that. Um, mm. But he he said, you're ready, basically. Interesting. So actually, you're over ready or whatever. <laughs> so right. so then I. Uh, then I was like, oh, wow, like, I can do that? You know, like, it, it, it didn't, I mean, it was, a, it was kind of a distant a thought, but I never really thought that, uh, I don't know, it's not that common, right? And it's not like, Bharatanatyam is, um, you see, like, this is a standard part of Bharatanatyam, when you, after many years, you do, mm-hmm. you do this all over, sure, like, right. <laughs> But in Kathak, it's not that way, like, and he definitely felt that way, too, that unless you're, like, really going to take it on as a, as a, like, a thing for yourself, for your life, you don't, you don't do your solo unless you do that. Okay, unless you're trying to go into it for real. Yeah. Interesting. He didn't really like that otherwise, yeah. Okay. So we, we had very few people who did solos and, and, but... And, oh. and for a long time. Right. And then, and occasionally he would have that disciple mm-hmm. that he felt that really stayed with him a long time, trained mm-hmm. a long time, and he knew that was, they were in it for the long run. Right. Then he would do the solo. He would okay. say, do a solo. I mean, okay. um, so that was like, yeah, I mean, he was an amazing guru. So eventually mm-hmm. he had many disciples and over the years. All, all his years but so um so yeah so then so that's when I did it and like I really felt like something else when I first did the first solo I felt like mm-hmm. oh wow this is where I'm meant to be you know like on the stage I just felt the most myself 
and most natural and free, like being on that stage in the first solo. And I, and so I was like, yeah, this is what I meant to do. <laughs> and I felt that way. And I've done so many since. And each time I, I evolve and feel more connected to myself and, you know, to the world through this art. But, um, so that's how it came in the, in the beginning stages and it evolves each year like that. Understood. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess, I don't know, like I have an identity, I guess if you watch me, mm -hmm. dance, you could say, okay, that's definitely Lavani dancing, but mm -hmm. then it's still changing and evolving all the time. And, 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 you know, as, as we were, talking about um as i work with different people right um, it all adds it just things keep getting added inside mm -hmm. yeah and since we're talking about uh like working with different people uh and since you uh, and you've performed with a lot of musicians can you tell us a little bit about how that experience changes your dance or what's added, added to your performances yeah so um so I love like performing and dancing with different musicians and any opportunity I get in that way, like good, you know, good, solid musicians. Um, uh, for, for most Kathak dancers, um, soloists that I see, they usually like to keep the same set of musicians because hmm. it's easier to work with, of course. And once right. you find some good ones, you have a good relationship. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then they know your stuff, they know how you go, so they can follow you easily or, you know, help you, um, you guys connect clearly. So that makes sense. Um, and, you know, I, there are some musicians that I've worked with a lot so that I have that connection now. But, um, but I like working with different ones because now, well, Guruji passed away, you know, I think it's been six years uh now and so anyway i i got so much from him but i still want to keep learning um and this is one of the ways i keep learning because mm -hmm. because uh a lot of the musicians i work with um are actually primarily soloist musicians and they they're they're mainly uh soloists in their instrument and they so, so is it like they may not have worked with a Kathaka before you came in as well when you no. say solo? No, they Interesting. Okay. Yeah, they never have. And so, I mean, I, again, I, we connect somehow, let's say, and then mm -hmm. why don't we do something together? And like, they're very, um, the ones who are actually open and experimental that way are like, right. yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, um, and, uh, yeah, and so this is like really expands my knowledge. I also got the feedback that they like how open I am, and and I think uh, what I do like about mm -hmm. Kathak, um, okay. I can't speak about other dance forms. I didn't study them, but mm -hmm. um, it's it has so much freedom in the in this art that if you have like a base, your base foundation, you should be able to go with any other musician, like you you know like whatever music it is jazz or uh flamenco or indian or uh like a fusion kind of thing or yeah so this is the this is a unique thing so i get to learn how like the solo musician uh soloist musician approaches 
And I also get to expand my knowledge of Indian classical music this way. So, and yeah. You said that you like to work with good, solid musicians. For you, what does that mean? As a good musician, as someone like me who's, who sometimes listens to music, isn't too into it, be like, oh, that's a good tune. That guy plays well. But for you, who's a dancer, who's doing it performances, how do you evaluate someone as a good or good musician? Or what, what are the, what's the criteria for you? Oh, well, there's so many ways somebody can be mm-hmm. a musician. I guess what I meant by that for me. Yes, is, yes for you. Yeah, yeah. So, like, they definitely need to be tayar, you know, so the chops, which is like, they probably did millions of hours of riyaz growing up. Uh, yeah. And so, because if that's not there, it's like what we can't show much of what I did. Right. I mean, you could do something, but it won't be, it won't be that caliber that like that, that, you know, my guruji was and, and our So are you able to tell if someone's practiced for a long time in like, if a musician's been doing this for a while? Just oh, by listening. Wow. Interesting. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. I mean, one tune, like one note. Okay, first of all, mm-hmm. for the musician, if their tunefulness is, is a huge thing. Um, if if they anybody who's been doing riyaz for a long time and and is a professional, obviously, um, they bear they rarely go out of tune. They won't like miss the note for one, but that's a that's. Okay, that's technical. Also, technically, their hand, how it's moving. Like if they if they can go at the speeds, because we like, uh, and I think you know Guruji's lineage and him, he's known for like one of the fastest feet he was, right? Uh, so our training is that way. So if we're, if I'm like able to, I won't be able to go uh, do my ability or what I, uh, potential I could if the musician cannot go that fast also. So in fact, I like to work with musicians who can go really fast and it depends on the instrument. So for example, sitar versus violin versus sarod. So I've worked with all those instruments um, who are soloists too um, and instrumentalists. And um, so Depending on the instrument, sometimes you can't technically go that fast because of the structure of the instrument. So like a sarod, you, you have to go from up here down to here. It doesn't have frets. So, you know, there's a lot of things going on. There's other, there's like 25 strings. Then you have the sitar. They have frets, but you also are moving up and down, right? Uh, violin is like easier to go faster because it's in a small space and you're just bowing, and then all your fingering is in a small space here, right? But not like the long neck of the sarod and sitar. So anyways, that's a technical difference of why we know some instruments can just go physically faster. But anyway, I mean, it's not just about speed and tunefulness. Obviously, it's the musicianship and the art. But I can hear I can hear it in, in their playing, like immediately if I if I attend their solo concert or something, which is usually how it starts. Like maybe I went to their solo concert or they came to mine and then, then we approached each other, you know, to work together, to do, to put something together. And, um, and in, in, in the unique places that I've performed, um, in the world, like sometimes, uh, 
they like the dance aspect, like they get a lot of maybe music concerts and they want a little change. So the dance and music combo, um, the two of us work together. So we'll usually show our, ourselves as soloists and then come together in our collaborative way. Yeah, some very one fascinating insights on uh, you talked about each uh, each instrument and what are the limitations of it like those are insights i've never gotten before which is really interesting and yeah thank you for sharing what goes through your head and what are you evaluating and considering the limitations of each instrument that was really fun to hear uh yeah because from my perspective even in kathak i can't tell the difference between someone who's 10 years in versus 20 years in because everyone looks competent to me so I'm still at the stage, oh, they look good, they look good. And I'm also very confused by if someone just looks good on stage versus someone is just fast. So uh, the, 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 so these are like, I can't I can uh, so I, I can't figure out a lot of those things, like the nuances of it. So I'm just there. So it's, it's fun to see, fun to hear when you have like a good sense of rhythm in music and how you evaluate people who want to work with you. That's really fascinating to me. And so coming to the next thing you touched upon it. So since you've performed across different, parts of the world say usa india europe what has your experience been performing for different cultures how have they been receptive to it uh so that's been a really fun part of my journey um Mm -hmm. you know especially since i left my job i've been able to do this more so Um, i i start i was starting to do it before i before i quit um, but uh, places like I've performed in, you know, India, of course, and North America, but also uh, Europe, which has been an interesting journey as well. Um, mm-hmm. And so, um, so for example, France, I've been going more frequently, uh, more annually since last three, four years, I think, three years, maybe it's been. Um, and so, uh, it's really interesting bringing Kathak to like each country, it, there's like a different kind of feeling and vibe because of the culture of the country and the audience and the people. Um, and so, you know, performing in India is like a totally different scene than performing in the, in North America, uh, you know, where you have a lot of Americans or Canadians, if it's in Canada, and then, and, and then France. So there, so for example, France, like these people, you know, don't know, uh, I've, I've performed in various corners of France where, uh, basically they don't speak English or anything, right? They only speak French and my French is very limited. Um, but so, but that has made it so much more, uh, rewarding performing because, I see the impact it has without even speaking a word to each other, pretty much. Like we're only speaking through this art and like how much it's made me realize how much this art really does bring people together. Um, So for example, like uh, also in that uh, Flamenco India show that I did, um, they, the dancer that I was uh, dancing with as well as, one of the main guitarists, they came from Spain. So they don't know English either. <laughs> they didn't know one ounce of English. And we were trying to kind of communicate like how to, what to do together, you know, how to go like before and after, do I go after you? You go after me? How do we respond to each other? Like we're trying to create something together without speaking the same language. 
but it's so uh, fascinating that you can just do that with your feet or, um, and then even just through, like through his music, like the guitar, flinging the guitar, like I could just immediately catch on and start dancing to that because it's the music. It has nothing to do with the words that he said, you know. So I had a question about this. Um, in the practice session, how does it work? Are you, are you using like some sort of sign, sign language? Are you, is there a Google Translate app somewhere there? What I mean, are, what are hand back? gestures? Okay. <laughs> like I'll go after you go before. Like I see. You know? I, I did use Google Translate a little bit, but it's hard to keep looking that up. Mm. <laughs> and you can okay. go as fast as you want to talk. So yes. um so yeah. So, and then you have to just do it. Like you just have to try it out. Like, okay, now okay. you go. I mean like and then you wait and then you know, then they mm-hmm. go with it. Like so I mean that was that was really fascinating. And that was actually working with somebody else directly. But in France mm-hmm. most of mine uh the shows are solo content. Okay. But um so what I did was I actually yeah, I did use Google Translate <laughs> and mm-hmm. I looked up how to say everything I wanted to say in French. Right. So like all the things I wanted because Kathak is it's for most of the people I've danced for in France, they have never seen Kathak. Right. Actually. So mm-hmm. um so I wanted to give a little spiel on okay little history about it, you know, how mm-hmm. it came, how it was um, in the royal courts and then now right. and, and um, before the Mughal Empire and everything. And then I'll, and then also I like to explain the math a lot because mm-hmm. most people who, I mean, first of all, a lot of people don't know how much math is involved in Indian classical period. Like there's so much math going on, you know, which I explain in my classes a lot, like dehys and, you know, calculating like the, so there's a formula actually, you know? (laughs) Um, And so, you know, we're doing like this double, triple, uh, five times speed, you know, in fitting it in a 16 beat. So Mm -hmm. all this stuff. So I I look up how to like say it Mm -hmm. basically in French. (laughs) And I'll even, I even did like, you know, Guruji is known for Kathak yoga. I've even tried Kathak yoga in French, like counting in French <laughs> and doing, and I've done a, I've done a couple of lecture demonstrations uh, in France. So I had to learn like counting in French and then show, you know, show them how to do this, counting the tintal and everything. Mm-hmm. And then do mm-hmm. steps, double the steps, triple the steps. Okay all the way 24 times, you know, mm-hmm. and then, you know, and then we explain like, okay, how many steps are we doing? 192. And they're just like, they're mind blown basically. Mm-hmm. But, and then, then showing them like, uh, of course, as I'm talking about it. So I okay. learned some basic French that I looked up mm-hmm. to be able to express this part, but the mm-hmm. rest of it is like in the dance, they just feel it. Like it's totally a feeling. And then, and then I love to see how I talk to them afterwards. Um, usually I'm with somebody who also knows English so he can translate what they're saying and the feedback that we get. And like every time, you know, and that's why I love performing in France. Um, you know, they like every time I get this feedback of the way it impacted them, they've never seen anything this, this crazy before because 
Mm-hmm. Like a lot of dance is just a lot of beautiful movement to beautiful music and you enjoy it and you're like, oh, that's beautiful. But, right. But then when they see this Kathak, they're like, okay, that plus a million other things, <laughs> right, is going mm-hmm. on. Beautiful movement, beautiful music. Of course, I, I'm usually with the tabla player and a sarod or sitar artist or violin or whatever who's playing absolutely fantastic because they're the, like the soloists in their own right. And yeah. then, but then they're like, what's going on with your feet? They mm-hmm. can't imagine, believe like it's moving that mm-hmm. fast and so much sound is coming out, right? Right. You know, right? Like we're like, and then we go with the tabla, so we do the shawal job. Mm-hmm. And then, so that just blows their mind. Like really they don't mm-hmm. see that much in France, at, at least I can say. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like, that's one example of, that impact and power it has in, in other countries. Um, India is obviously a different scene altogether. It's like festival. Mm-hmm. So like a lot of people and, and a lot of things going on. There's these people in the backstage, these people in, uh, walking around and like in the front. And everybody's um, boisterous. So it's like the culture of India is more boisterous and talkative. Like in France or somewhere in Europe, it's a little more, uh, the demeanor is, yeah. It's more calmer and like yeah. fit nicely in way. Um, mm-hmm. So that has a different fun, but also I've had similar experience there where like I'm I'm Bengali, so I'm totally fine in anywhere in Bengal. Uh, but in, I don't speak Hindi much. Uh, so when I go outside, like when I've performed in Delhi or uh, Gujarat or something, mm-hmm. uh, my communication is a little bit that gets a little challenging, you know. Um, okay. So different thing different mm-hmm. uh experiences i've had with that but okay. um but and when you say when you say boisterous have you ever performed to like in an in indian crowd where there's, there's like whistling hooting and all that kind of energy or has it always been just like loud clapping kind of so, energy? so yeah so there's um a couple of different types of shows i've had mostly they've been classical festivals so it's, okay got you so not not that kind of vibe it's not that yeah so yeah it has been like okay everybody's sitting watching and then mm-hmm. you know and then at old times clapping is not a cultural thing in in the indian classical scene you don't clap when when it's a nice thing they just appreciate it inside and maybe say wah you know like that I see, I see, I see. That's what it was. But now because of the globalization and westernization of so many things, clapping has entered the culture now. So we do get mm. claps at the end of the beehives and this and that. Okay. Um, so that's there. One time I did in, in Baroda, we had, uh, it was, I was part of a like kind of bigger event. So mm-hmm. it was my solo, but it was also uh, before me was a Bollywood singer. Right. So there was a more boisterous crowd there. So and then we did a tarana together at the end. Oh, nice! Yeah, sang the tarana, and I was uh, performing to that. And then there were like there's a drummer, and then of course the classical oh. musicians, tabla, and all this stuff. And it nice. was outdoor, a lot of people. So that one was like much more boisterous. So it just depends on the event, I guess. Okay. Understood. And moving before moving on, I'm I'm very curious. Can you give us an example, if you do remember one of like how it what uh, what would a recitation sound like in French, like when you're doing it? Well, I was reciting just the 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 numbers. Okay. So like uh, 
Quoi? Cat. Same. Cease, right? Set. Wheat. No. This. No, 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 no. You know? Owens, dudes. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a year. Okay. And dancing like that. And then dancing over that. Um, yeah. Okay. It's, it's amazing the length you've gone to, like, like, relay your message to different places. And how did you end up building these connections to places where they don't speak the language, they don't know who you are, they don't know what Kathak is? How did that come about? How did you start building these connections? Yeah, um, actually, I guess it's been through the, a lot of them were through these this work with the musicians that I've been doing. Understood. Okay. So I started working with them and then they, then they would be like, oh, you know, um, in Ireland or in yeah France, for example, or okay. uh, in London or something, uh, they're they they're looking for something a little bit different. Maybe they they had already toured there, and then they hmm. were like, um, so you know they were going to tour again, and so then they they suggested it or something that there's a dancer okay. who goes with us, you know, like who can dance with us, with us you know. Okay. So then slowly I, I, that's how I got introduced. And then, and then, you know, one thing leads to another, then somebody else um, so right. that ended up going to France every year. It was like, they were all different shows every year, but it's just each year I went, then, then that person maybe told another person. So then the next year I went through um, another group okay. that, that called me, you know, and then right. kind of went like that. Um, um, so far so <laughs> um and so it's I, like word of mouth like some shows that i get like maybe even here or something in the u.s it's it's often like somebody told my name to them and, okay. um, then they reached out for the show like the flamenco india was totally like basically the the producer um oliver um uh, he's like looking for a Kathak dancer to show mm-hmm. the obviously to show the uh, connection between India and Spain and the, and the flamenco roots to India. And so he's like, I'm looking for a good Kathak dancer. And then someone in Austin said, Hey, there's this, this Kathak dancer in, in California mm-hmm. uh, who I saw cause I had performed there like the previous year or something. Right. So it's, it's often goes that way for me. Understood. And I'm just out of curiosity, since you perform in different places and you go back again and again, do you have like a loyal following in these places where they come back and see you and you know these fans and you meet with them when you perform there? Is that uh, a thing? Yeah. I mean, if it's the same city. Okay. Right. And um, then I'll sometimes I'll see the same, see somebody that I, that came last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's but often it's like a different group that could be organizing so it's not necessarily right. message gets to those oh people. okay okay like not always the same group organizing mm-hmm. so then like in austin it was like i had performed in with one group the previous mm-hmm. year and then yes. i guess somebody who went to that show remembered me and then told mm-hmm. the um the next year's group that with who he was asking people. Mm-hmm. So then I uh, performed with them, but I don't think the previous group knew about it as much, or maybe, you know, because it's a totally different, it was a totally different scene. Like one was classical Indian mm-hmm. group. Next year it was with this flamenco, more like world music group. So mm-hmm. 
So sometimes it's like I'll see some people who get to know about it, then yeah. they show up again or whatever. And so that's nice. I do. I always do see somebody I've seen the previous year at least. Understood. <laughs> Okay, and so, so shifting gears a bit here, now that I understand a bit about your solo career and how you do things and the kind of attitude you've had because that led you to the opportunities that you got, that you took, uh, that you worked on. So coming to your, like your, since you are in the lineage of Pandit Chitrasdhasi, I wanted, and there's a part in Sarah Murali's book, which talks about you specifically, where, where Panditji has just found his first few cohort, like a cohort of Bengali students for the first time. So the, the relationship he has with them is more chill than his usual students. And you were looking for like a more serious vibe of Kathak. So you moved. And that's what I learned about your journey a bit. But I'd like to know from your perspective, what is your personal relationship with Chitrasdhasi and your training and moving into adulthood? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, well, so... Like I can back up a little bit. Sure. Uh, first of all, I think I've been dancing since I was born or something. Like when I was two years old, my my mom would put on music, uh, like Bengali music, of course. They're total Bengali music fans, Robindra Shangeet and all that. Um, and I would immediately just start dancing like that kind of Robindra Shangeet Manipuri style for like an hour or something. Um just like hour to hour, I just all day. So I, it was definitely within me to dance, but also I love um, Indian classical music since really young age, um, which is kind of a unique thing. And I think partly because I grew up, you know, in this environment with my parents listening to it, but also uh, we're so so blessed that um, you know being brought up outside of India that we could have exposure to like some of the most high caliber artists, Indian artists here in the Bay area, you know, thanks to Ustad Ali Akbar Kansa uh, having settled here. And he's the one who brought my Guruji here. And then he brought so many artists here. Obviously, Pandit Swapan Jodhriji is here because of him. And also, uh, Ustad Zakir Hussain is here because of him. And like, so all of these people live here, like right now, you know? Um, and so I grew up like as a kid going to their concerts. Um, and I, they would often want somebody to usher, like kids, you know, um, to usher, help usher for the concerts, give flowers, volunteer and stuff. So I used to do that growing up um and i would go and when you were a kid when you were a kid did you know what you were getting or did you have that realization yeah yeah i knew okay. these were the big guys you know um i would go i would so be so excited going backstage and like being part of that like i would always want to usher and <laughs> because you could be backstage and then i would just like stay in the green room and kind of like just hang out, like maybe like by the door, but they don't mind, right? And so just to be in their presence, like concepts, presence, and, and uh, you know, um, and uh, then, oh, even Pandit Ravi Shankarji used to come up sometimes for, I mean, he's he was in San Diego. I mean, he was all over, but he lived in San Diego. So, but it's close enough like that, you know, we got to see him perform too growing up. Uh, so, but yeah, and then I would just like, you know, uh, try to be around them and then, 
so this was like my childhood, which is so lucky uh, for somebody living outside of India. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and to for these to have even access, living inside India, I don't, I don't think most people get that chance. No, it's it's harder. It's actually harder yeah. if you live inside India, mm-hmm. like to have access to these kind of stalwarts, like the the top of the top, right? Um, of our that that time, and um, <clears throat> so. So that was so amazing. So because of because I grew up around that, I just always felt deeply connected to it anyway. And then I guess I just had that in my like in my inside me that I just whenever I would hear their music, I would just like tear up, you know. Um <clears throat> so I used to like Kansab's music. I mean, because he was at the college which is here, uh, his co- Ali Akbar College of Music. Um I I heard him the most because obviously went to his performances the most. And so I would like play his CDs in my bedroom and just dance to it, dance to his music when I was a kid. Um, I mean, who knew that at that time that I would like be able to dance really like this now. But um, so I, I already had that connection and feeling. And then Guruji was here too. Um, teaching and my parents finally um they put me in in his in his class when I was a kid and so um so my relationship to so it was kind of like not okay okay just that wasn't my only connection to some a lot most people that learned at his school or something that was mainly the primary connection to classical that people had they didn't necessarily connect with the music the music concerts too and stuff but i think i was also learning vocal and stuff from different vocal teachers when i was a kid too so so i kind of had a lot of different avenues and bengali dance and music i grew up learning rubina shangeet and um so there was just an it was another thing so i had like so many complementary um what do you say um uh, environments that complemented everything because of my parents. Um, so, you know, so then I was started going to his class as a kid. And just as a kid, you, you do whatever your parents put you in. So I'm doing everything and enjoying everything. But I, my, I would say my um, relationship to him and the art form is, has been in general, very gradual um, growth and love for it. Because I was a kid and it's just something I always did, it, just like playing the piano, just like taking my vocal classes, going to Bengali school and this and that. Um, so then slowly, like, it became more serious as we, as I grew up. So um, like you read in the book, I think, that I was in the Bengali class. <laughs> so he was nice to us because we're, he's Bengali and he knew the the parents, our parents, and he was like, "Okay, let's have fun." And a lot of our classes were fun. And so, after some time, um, I think he's he suggested to my mom to go to the more rigorous class, which was in Fremont. So I was I was going in Berkeley, which is I think you know where Berkeley is, but um, in Fremont he had kind of his bigger base of students. And that was like um, the Indian diaspora that was coming up at that time. 
And um, so he said, you know, uh, to my mom, he said, you know, she's doing well. She should she should probably go to that class, you know, because obviously I don't think the challenge was coming in this fun class, <laughs> um, you know. So so then I went to Fremont. And so we started commuting out there like, you know, we drive whatever one hour every week to to go learn. Nowadays, people complain about traveling more than 10 minutes to go to their dance class. But, you know, we would, my parents drove me every week of one hour. And I mean, and they would go, they used to learn vocal from Kansab, like also, like that's one hour and a half away or something, you know, like people were willing to drive for this valuable uh, art from these masters, you know, mm-hmm. now, I, nowadays things changing, ch- are changing. Anyway. If it helps, uh, Laboniti, um, in Indiana, there's one Kathak Academy, which means I have to drive 45 minutes to get there. So it just depends on where you are. Some places have a, have a bunch of Kathak centers, some places have one. So it just depends yeah. where you are, what era. So yeah. And then you, you obviously, it seems like I can see that you value it so much that you're going to do that drive. Like, you know, so. Also, Indiana is a good drive. It's like you can go a mile a minute. So it's like no traffic. <laughs> But yeah, maybe you enjoy that, you know, that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, that's different. It's it's it means it's because of a lot of reasons. Obviously, the density right. here and the yeah, how close now we have more. Um, right. At that time, there wasn't. So anyway, so we um, started going to Fremont, and then I had many phases of my journey with him. Uh, mm-hmm. I think you've heard by now, but. He was very strict and very intense and rigorous. Mm -hmm. It was like so incredibly difficult to learn from him in in a lot Mm -hmm. of ways, Um, like mentally, physically, emotionally, you know, he, he was very challenging and intense. So, um, so, you know, that was um, different phases I went through. There's the preteen year, uh, first childhood years, which I told you the fun Bengali class. <laughs> then the preteen years when we started to, you know, like put, pick up the tear, um, tear level and uh, get more intense training than high school. And then most people don't stay through college learning, but I went, I, I went to UC Berkeley and I came home every weekend to go to his, to his class. Nobody, nobody else did that in college. Like, I still don't know anybody who's done that, you know. Uh, but I came home every weekend to, to learn in his class because I felt that connected to him and the mm. art, you know, and yeah, I didn't get to spend weekends doing the college thing. <laughs> um, I was going to say, like, did you feel any fear of missing out? Because you were in Berkeley, you had that whole undergrad college thing that people really want. Like, it's, it's a huge part of most people's college experiences. Did you feel like you were missing out or you were, what yeah, was going through? Right? Yeah, the weekends are like a huge social um, experience in college mm-hmm. you have. And yeah, I, I think I did miss out in, 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 in a little in some way a little bit, you know, um, on that. But, I mean, now looking back, obviously that was worth it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it was worth it for me in the end. And so I I think following that 
gut to come home every week and right. um and i understand it's worth it now as you know as you're a mature adult but when you were like in your 90s and 20s making that decision yeah and was that hard for you or was this is was this just easy for you to just go home every weekend and make that commitment yeah i mean i think it was i i, I don't know i i wanted to do that yeah hmm. Interesting. I mean, I did think about it all the time because every weekend, you know, friends would be like, "Hey, we're this party, that party, we're hanging out and this that this that and um, you know, I think I probably made less friends because of that, right? Um at that time. But um yeah, I missed most of the parties, I would say. And then you know, and then but Yeah, I wanted to I wanted to go to the class. I just I couldn't I didn't feel right not going. Maybe that's the better way to put it. It didn't feel right not to go to class. And just and just like uh fade out, you know. And that 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 is what happens to many young dancers who, you know, they do it growing up and it's a great cultural experience and maybe that's the only reason they do it and of course it impacts and shapes who they become. So it's it's very valuable in that way but they but they mostly fade out once they go to college and because it's such a sh- uh, those years are very formative when you're in college you're looking for what you want to do you're meeting new people you're finding out who you are like what your belief system is like many things and yeah what you want to get into um <clears throat> so because and then then when you're away from the dance and that's happening right you're in college and you're forming yourself without the dance what ends up happening is you just become that other person and then you don't go back to the dance sometimes most of the time most of the time um most of the people i grew up with dancing are totally out of totally gone from the dancing and um and so many people i know who did dance growing up absolutely do not do it now i mean i mean almost like i would say 90% probably right so so i think because i did stay it was part of the form formation of who i became in, in a way and um you know i i yeah and so that was my kind of youth with him Then I graduated and um I got my first job in Southern California so I was kind of out of it for a little bit uh out of out of it with him I mean I still practiced on my own and stuff but I wasn't going to him because I was in LA um and developing my actuarial career <laughs> um but I still had the thing in my head by then that I will come back to to it and to guruji at some point i was just got immersed in like developing this other career and everything and i eventually did come back and do all the things we talked about earlier which is join the company and and start training harder and um helping in the in his institution and all that right okay cuz uh, so the reason i asked you a little bit about the college stuff I have interviewed dancers and asked them about FOMO throughout 
as a teenager in high school uh, you're the first person who actually who's actually brought on brought upon that they went home during weekends they went back and did kathak i'm sure other people may have but uh, this is the first time i've discussed this on a college level i've discussed this on a high school and teenage level so this is really fascinating for me because yeah i like uh, yeah I, yeah i was very lazy in college so i i got so, so I, just the thought of me giving up my weekend seems like that's pretty intense so yeah kudos to you for doing that i'm it's amazing um and so with that uh, uh, since we talked about like your personal connection gurjan he was very strict um i think that's a good segue in talking about lavanya and your academy and how you teach so i guess let's just start with that so your guruji was known to be very strict very intense what kind of a teacher are you <laughs> i am not like him uh mm-hmm. so i'm i mean i think i'm different in, and i think it makes sense when he's like from this totally different background obviously his personality mm-hmm. too his mother who like really shaped him and many things like he's from that generation of when it was a, the guru used to like like actually like i think slap their student if they didn't get it right or throw things like that was that era right i i mean i i know some musicians where it's like if if they were did a hit a wrong note their guru like threw things at them <laughs> so this okay. this is how it used to be i mean right I right know, i don't know if nowadays people don't know that but it was and mm-hmm. so you know i think we like with guruji had like the last bit of that era of that mm. old time old school guru training yeah i'm not the type to just say okay if you don't get this or if you act this way you're out like i'm not that way and it's you know it's a different era now but i am still firm in the integrity of the art and that learning and the attitude of the student in in that sense so you know i will tell the student like this isn't going to fly if you if you're doing this and you know you're not practicing or um they don't say namaskar when they come into the room or those kinds of things but i'm definitely you know i'm different than guruji i mean he was like one of a kind in his approach so uh so you know and and i started now like you mentioned um so this became very a natural uh evolution that my school started and it kind of connects back to when i quit uh my job my actuarial job so you know at at that point in time people were approaching me to start studying kathak and learning and especially after guruji passed away um a lot of people were kind of didn't know where to go or where to start studying uh who uh-huh. to study with and, and so many things So a few people approached me and I just said okay you know like now I'm doing this full time so mm-hmm. it makes sense to 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 teach and that's a huge part of huge part of our legacy and um passing this down right mm-hmm. so uh so I started teaching seven students um who had come to me that that point in time which is now two and a half years back and then um it's grown like really fast um mm-hmm. and so suddenly now i have 70 students <laughs> and two okay. and a half years later so it's 10 basically grown 10 times in that mm-hmm. 
in that respect. And, and, and that's like a, an awesome thing for many reasons. I mean, the fact that so many people want to learn Gattak now, I mean, thanks to, I think, Guruji and all the work he did and all, all of us, uh, the generations before us, you know, they, they kept this, they really made Gattak such a huge thing in the Bay Area, in this community that so many people um, are wanting to learn and, and learn from his disciples too, me, me being one of them. And so, um, so then, uh, so now I suddenly have this uh, 70 students on me. So I'm developing this new school now, Lavinia Academy of Indian Arts, and forming this. Of, of, of the 70 students, about 10 of them are advanced. So they have uh-huh. been learning from, from our Guruji's school previously for maybe like 10 years or something before. Okay. So now they're with me. And I'm developing them and kind of now creating this dance company who I'm hoping to start having them perform more uh, as the pandemic sort of (laughs) uh, eases out of this globe. But um, so this is kind of, yeah, where I've come in the last few years, all of a sudden, of course, one year so far out of the two and a half has been in the pandemic itself Mm -hmm. so um that's obviously like no doubt been tough on everybody including artists Mm um obviously i miss the dance being a soloist and performer mostly i i like miss that so much um and being with other people and audience and musicians and but because of the because of that i've totally been um hardcore teaching this year and uh that's been my main thing so um so all the students have been even though it's been online have been developing like uh have improved so much in one year just because Uh I've been with them so usually I go on tour in between you know like yeah I plan my sessions that way too like uh finish the session then head out for my tour then I'll come back and do whatever uh-huh. retreats or summer camps and stuff. Then right. tour and then come back, start the fall session. So they get me most of the time, but there's a like chunks that are off from me. But because this, right. this year there's, I'm not on tour at all. And at home <laughs> the whole year, like everyone else, um, I basically have been teaching them throughout the year nonstop. So they're all really coming up and, uh, you know, I have good hopes for, for them. And I'm trying to just create a positive community around the dance form, you know, like supportive of each other. And, um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah, well, I'm excited. Um, let's see what happens. Okay. And so that brings me to a a question that might be interesting to talk about. So I've spoken to some of some Kazakhs, uh, and they in their life they've had uh, their instruct when they had instruction from their gurus. Their gurus were at a point where they had a huge solo performance, or they were kind of coming up as soloists and performance artists as well. So there were there were periods and times where they didn't get that time with their guru, like you talked about. So for you and you meant, uh, for you and for other people who have a huge whose career. Uh, uh, is a, a huge part of their career is being a soloist. How yeah? How do you uh, how do you make sure that your students get the instruction they need as well? 
Right. Well, I mean, I think when you, so, I mean, again, as a dancer, uh-huh. usually we're not like full on every week concert, so- right. solo concert, like musicians do. Um, so when you are here, when you are not touring and you're back, right? I think it's important to be very, uh, very efficient and effective in the time that you are here, you know, right? and be very present. And like, so I give like my, you know, more than 100% when I'm in the classroom with them. And like, as much as I can, you know, make them dance as much as possible and move them forward. And, um, and you know, I'll do like some foul theory classes too. I will do some singing classes when I'm back too. I'll incorporate those. We'll do, we'll take a day where we're just doing that sometimes. Um, I do have, because I have my advanced students, which uh, who are coming up too and doing good, right. they, they substitute for me also when okay. I, when I'm, when I'm not here, which is good for, First of all, for them, because they get experience of being a leader and teaching. Mm-hmm. And if you are teaching, that means you have to know your the material you're teaching so well, right? So it, it grounds them in the material. Mm-hmm. Um, also, also, the students get a little change, which is nice, because obviously I have my approach, which is whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but everybody has different things that they pick up on or like to break down. And so some of my advanced students have a different approach maybe that reaches students in a maybe different way. Maybe they uh, noticed uh, a certain way how to fix their arms or do this thihai. And so it's, it's nice. It's, it's a little bit of a, another fresh perspective for the students to get from, mm-hmm. from another person, not just me all the time. And um, they also get to know their didis, right? They're like basically their didis, these advanced mm-hmm. students. So they get to know the didis and have other people to look up to that are not just right. me. Because just sometimes maybe I'll it's it's harder to connect because I'm like, okay, I'm touring, I'm doing this and that, and um, like how can I be like that or something? But then you have an advanced student, and you can see like a midpoint of where to get to mm-hmm. for, for the students. So they, they like it too, actually. They like, and they like to see the passion that my students have for, mm-hmm. for the dance. Cause obviously if I'm doing it full time, I'm always going to be like, Kathak, you know, is the best and this, this and that. But when they hear from someone else, it's more meaningful too. Understood. And since you're talking about your advanced students and, Maybe I have, if I have some incorrect assumptions, just correct me. But if you're going to form your own dance company, that's kind of more of a group endeavor. Uh, do you see that? Do you see transitioning from your solo solo career to more of a group choreography thing? Or are you still trying to maintain that as a separate entity in addition to the dance company? Um, I would maintain the two as their own entities. So we'd have a dance company that incorporates the group, you know, Uh um, and, you know, do things with the group. But um, my solo career would still be the same. It wouldn't change that. That should still be going on at the same time. Obviously, it takes more work. So I'd have Mm -hmm. to figure out that uh, being effective with time. (laughs) Um, But, you know, like this pandemic and everything has actually given me a lot of time with the students, you know? So, uh-huh. so 
And then it's still going on. So I'll be very much with the students for the next year or two. So hopefully by then, you know, I develop them to a point where it's like if I am leaving sometimes for my tours, they're more self-sufficient and uh-huh. practicing on their own for, you know, their performance or show or something while I'm gone. You know, that's the goal um, that they can get to that. And actually, I mean, we, we don't know. Everything's in, in development now. But with this virtual, new virtual world, I think I think we have more ways to work now. Like I can, I can like do a do a class while I'm on tour in France, for example, uh, on a day I'm not performing, yeah. yeah, or India or wherever I am, um, and just even Toronto. Now I go to Toronto a lot, um, so from there I can just log in, and you know, the week that I'm gone, we do it virtually. Let's say, you know, right. So there's like some. I mean, <laughs> this pandemic thing is. It really sucks right now, but I think it's opening up avenues uh, for the future, so you can take that positive, you know, from it. Okay, and among amongst the conversations, you mentioned that you'll be teaching in Florida as well after the pandemic. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, and then kind of brings me to my next topic, which is about the Toronto Tabla Ensemble. First, could you tell us what that is, and then we'll go and dig into that a bit. Yes, sure. So, so um, my Guruji's brother, mm-hmm. uh, Ritesh Das, he started the Toronto Tabla Ensemble. Um, I think it's been 30 years now. And um, so, you know, he, he had settled out there and, you know, he basically trains tabla players. He has a tabla school, but it's also an ensemble where he creates um, music that uses the classical form of tabla and goes with, uh, collaborates with other music, like any kind, really. It could be, it could be Indian music too, sitar, sarod, or whatnot, but also like from different cultures, like Scottish music or Irish music or um, anything, depending on what he's comp- composing. Um, and he, he makes the classical kind of, in a different uh, kind of, it's, I wouldn't say fusion exactly, but he brings the classical element of tabla in a different platform where it's like, um, where you could feel like dancing to it too. It's like, uh, has its own totally different sound and unique. Uh, he's created very a very niche um, place for himself there. And so uh, he had reached out to me, let's see, two years ago because they came out with their album, which is a tribute to my Guruji, Bhumika. And one of the uh, songs on that album, they were creating a music video for. And so um, his wife, Melissa Das Arp, she she is into film and she was actually producing and directing this music video. Uh, Yeah, for this music video. So I said, okay, like, um, I would be honored to do that. And um, so since then, we, we basically slowly started working together um, on different things. I mean, he's made me the dance director of, of it now. So we'd like to do more going into the future. But um, a lot of what I love, one of the th- main things we've done so far is music videos. And what I love is that 
you know, Kathak is not really featured on music videos. I mean, that's just not a place it has been or, you know, mostly just, uh, you know, in a show you see Kathak. But I love this new platform that they're putting it on because um, it, it's a unique place. And, um, and then his type of music, too, is so unique. Like, it's, there's the classical element there, but you can get creative. So uh, even though I do dance Gattak as the bass, I kind of mm-hmm. just really listen to the music and go with the vibe and dance the way I want, really, to it. So it complements his music. Um, so, yeah, so we've created a few music videos now, and um, mm-hmm. we I've gone out there for, for some shows with, with them. Um, now that, uh, I guess... Now I have my students kind of coming up. So we're trying to do stuff together with our students. So especially during this pandemic, we've been doing a lot of virtual collaborations. Um, we, we had a cross, you know, cross border, I guess, cross country summer camp with our kids together. Um, so like my Florida and California kids and his Toronto Tabla kids and we did like a week-long camp together then uh with my advanced students we and his uh advanced group we did like um uh, a collaboration of a piece and documentary mm-hmm. on that of how we like put together a virtual show with each other right. <laughs> uh, that's actually on youtube so um and then we're planning to do more music videos coming up with them so we're trying to like, you know, at the same time as work together in this new environment. And um, one cool thing is that it is virtual. So um, we've got like a lot of the issues of like, oh, how do we actually be together, rehearse and all this stuff? This pandemic opened up that we could just meet online. So we've all been like meeting online to rehearse, especially over the summer we did when, you know, when a lot of the people, the kids and had time off and we all had time off. Um, so, and then we started a Tabla Katak time show we do um, on Facebook live uh, where we like a couple of his, we'll, I'll pick a few of my students who are doing well. He'll pick a couple of his students who are doing mm-hmm. well and we'll kind of put something together or they'll come up with something together. Oh. And we have a little show talking about also what, um, what we're up to, what's going on. Like, his latest mm-hmm. album came out, um, which was, I guess it came out earlier this year. And we were going to have a release concert where I was going to fly up out there. I booked my ticket to fly out there for the release concert. And of course, this whole thing happened. So and there's actually a documentary about that as well. You can find online. Melissa um, created, mm-hmm. um, Melissa's father actually created that one. Oh, it's called The Least Expected Guest. Okay. So just a little background on that. Sure. That the album is called Unexpected Guest because many uh, different artists you wouldn't think of are on this album. That he each song has a unique artist, guest artist on it. So mm-hmm. we were like unexpected guests, including myself, which I told you earlier, Raghupati, mm-hmm. uh, that was the first uh, vocals on an album I've ever done, which I've, it's a song that my Guruji loved. So it was very meaningful. The 
unexpected guest release concert was re- ruined by the least expected guest, which you could guess is the virus. <laughs> so, um, so we have this docu- documentary. You can look it up, and you can. It is really interesting. It goes through each of the unexpected guests on the album and our journey of like how of how we were creating the piece and then what happened basically and this new life okay. we have going on now. And, uh, do you ever find yourself get, like getting your hands on the tabla given your association with Kuruji, Gathak Yoga and his brother now? Do you ever get your hands on other instruments and things in your spare time? <laughs> well, you know that, so you know that uh, we do Kathak Yoga. I mean, the base uh-huh. foundation of that is reciting yeah. the lehra and dancing different things, which is difficult to do. And then right. as you add more layers, like, so why do harmonium, you know, and I learned vocal when I was a kid, so, um, and piano. So I can, that one comes to me more naturally, I guess you could say. Okay. Um, so I do a, a Kathak Yoga with, with harmonium. Now, tabla, uh, Let's see what happens. So I have tried it. I uh-huh. I have, and and thanks to Ritesh that for were for suggesting that, and uh-huh. he 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 was the one also who said you should you should do that. Um, uh-huh. I have tried it out. Um, I wouldn't say it's ready yet. <laughs> um, so let's see what happens. I mean, I'd love to do that at some point. There's so many things that I want to do. So it's like. And I don't want to just, you know, for example, okay, just touch it and then do something. Just dabble in it. Yeah, I yeah. don't want to, whatever it is, anything that I do, I don't want to just dabble and then it's gone. So that's part yeah. of the thing. Like the headspace has to be there to like really commit right. to to it. So mm-hmm. Understood. And since we talked about, uh, we're talking about tabla, we're talking about kathak yoga. Could you tell us a little bit about the, the half matra? Because whatever I've seen in kathak yoga, like, the Sare Noa Matra, the Sare Pach Matra, these are kind of emphasized on. So could you tell us why it was and how it came to be? Yeah, I mean, so, okay, so Kathak Yoga was um, really, so I remember, I remember when it was being developed. I was a kid and it's like Guruji just asked us to, in class, he'd just be like, okay, just try this, you know, Um say the lehera or say the teka while you're dancing that high. And it was so hard, right? He's like, ah, there is a challenge. Let's go, right? Because he always wanted to do something that's challenging and different. He was always like, he just like wanted to do something other dancers are not doing. That was his thing, right? So so we were like, we would try to say the teka. Then we started doing the teka and then we would just, do the teka and all these bihais, different compositions, obviously our footwork. Then he slowly is like, okay, sing it. Like sing the lehera. So we started okay. singing it and then doing all of this. And it wasn't called anything for years, but we were doing it. You know, it's just like, just do that. Then he's like, right. okay, what is this? This is actually a thing. Let's let's like call it something. And then mm-hmm. he came up with that term, Gatak Yoga, because it's like, okay, you have to unify your mm-hmm. mind and body to be able to do it like you can't you have to be focused otherwise right. you can't do it so he started calling it Gatak yoga and then he, you know he, he started getting it out there and then he was doing it with his tabla and then he trained the dancers to do it with harmonium and 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 with manjira we would also add that and um 
and it became such a unique thing by itself. Like we have an entire, we would do entire pieces, just this, no, uh, no accompanying artists, musicians. And it would like be a hit in, in the shows because it was like all the sounds coming. You have like, wait, we're singing and our feet are like going super fast. We're doing spins and still singing. <laughs> um and then you know we're playing this manjira like in between while we're spinning and everything and then hitting the harmonium after like it was crazy you know and, and it was called shub actually um that that particular piece we would do so um so that's how it came about and then and um and he he's like you know this is not this isn't even really for a performance that's what he used to say he said this is for your own self and your own riyas like yoga right like and you know so you push yourself in in it right in your way so then you know then we started doing other thals after tintal you know and then he was doing like dhamar we do dhamar and chaptal okay um and then nine and a half was one of them and then now i mean anything we could do uh in kathak yoga once you understand the concept of it and you start working on it um, now the half matra thing, that's it's like a separate thing. And again, same idea about him. Okay, I want to do something like nobody else does. Like, <laughs> it, it, you know, not I mean for a challenge, and also it's like okay, well if everybody's doing it, it's not as interesting. But if you do something that nobody else does, they'll be like, oh wow, like I want to see that. You know, you can't, I can't get that anywhere else. You know, so he used to work with like these half matra dolls. Um, he used to dance with them all the time and then um, so then he started giving us you know those and 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 it was actually different for each dancer like sometimes uh, like so for example five and a half he just gave to me you know I was going to do my first solo the one that he said I should do <laughs> and um, and then he and it was actually a funny story with that so he said he's like oh what do you dance? Like, I don't know. When's your solo anyway? He's so funny about it. It's like, when is your solo? Like when, after like all year of like thinking about it, I'm like, oh, it's on, no, it's in November, you know? And then he's like, oh, okay, November. Okay, November what? And I was like, uh, November 22nd. I had like fixed, I had booked the hall by then. And so that's 11.22. And he's like, 22. 11, 22, okay. What's 22 divided by 2? And I was like, 11. And he's like, oh, okay. What's what's 11 divided by 2? And I'm, I was said, 5 and a half. And then he's like, okay, dance 5 and a half. And that's like, that's just how it happened. And I was, and then, uh, yeah. And I was up. This is amazing. Okay. And I literally had to develop 5 and a half. Totally, I did it by myself because, I mean, all the training of over the years. And then he gave me, obviously, some compositions to dance. But the rest of it, I, mm-hmm. I came up with on my own. And that was his training. But he, he loved that. Like, um, And then he used to dance like 12 and a half and 8 and a half and all this. And then he gave uh, some of the other dancers, he gave like 9 and a half. Then after he passed away, just to push to make push myself and make sure I I could be on my own, I developed the seven and a half. Um, so now I mean it's fun because it's like it's it's not 
any particular Tao um, that is out there, it's a, it's like, okay, you can make up your own Tao. Basically, we make up our own Tao and how it goes. Um, and then, because if you do five and a half times two, which is 11, there is a Tao that is that. Char Tao Ki Sawari. That is a known Tao in Indian classical, 11. So some people, some people have played in that, you know, played in that. But um, five and a half doesn't really, like, there's no name for that. And you can make up the teka. I've, I've heard other people do a different, they made up a different teka and do it. Like, a, not dancer, uh, like a tablo player. But right. so, we, so we had our own way. We made up uh, teka and then, then you work with it. At the end of the day, everything is numbers, right? So you can kind of, you know... But the half beat gives a fun, fun aspect to the chand or the rhythmic feeling, and because it's it it then there's an inherent chand already built into the the tal, so so that's so it makes it really fun, and then you can play around with with coming up with the highs in five and a half. You can play around with the half and how you use it. Um, you can do like four plus one and a half or you could do three plus two and a half you could break it up in different ways and build on that um so these are the you know things he introduced he introduced introduced us to the just idea of even doing half beat dolls and um yeah so i mean i'm really grateful that i had this kind of training from him and so that's a little bit of background of of, of the habit. Yeah, and I of course I really like that story of how you came to perform five and a half with your solo. Thanks for giving us that background. There's a lot I learned right there. Uh, so yeah, thank you for sharing that. And kind of brings me to my last question, Labonidi. So looking back at like your solo career, your soon-to-be dance company your academy and all this history you've had with Kathak. So in terms of what's coming up in the future, what will be, uh, what would you want your impact and legacy to be on the world of Kathak? Well, I mean, that's a good question. Um, A couple of things, I mean, in terms of impact, like Mm -hmm. I guess the awareness of this beautiful art form in its ancient and pure traditional way i i think that should be continued to be spread over the globe um for one because mm-hmm. as much as i love watching the group shows and the productions and stuff like that and those are like to the eye visibly spectacular you know you have the whole setup you have the many dancers and you know whatnot and you're telling a story or something through Gattat. Uh, but I, I love, uh, the solo uh, and as you know, like dancing as a soloist is one of my main things. I love that, that, um, part of that Kathak tradition, which is like very, the traditional way of dancing to get out there as well. And I think, um, you know, people do a lot of work with fusion and things like that, which is, which is awesome because it's that opens up avenues. But I think also having the most depth you can get from, from Gattak, you'll find in a solo performance from 
all of from the from the rhythmic aspect to the artistry to the technical to the footwork uh beautiful footwork to to the abhinaya to the storytelling this is like all captured in a solo that you cannot get in a big group production like you know it's uh, and so i think that impact it's while it's harder to sell quote unquote a solo uh performance it's like the impact is so so deep um when when somebody sees that because you go on this journey as an audience member you go on this journey with one person and you go deep into that journey and that person gets to go deep into the journey and be you know connect to connect to the whole you know themselves the audience the musicians like i i, I find that that being really powerful um <clears throat> so you know that but also yeah getting getting at the same time that's the new kind of work that i think many of the kathak artists in our generation are trying to do and figure out mm -hmm. is right. like is like getting it out on the mainstream platform too which is mm -hmm. not necessarily by solos but how do you right. do that and so that's that's you know would love mm -hmm. for that to be a part of my legacy like of you know these music videos is like a one peek into that recently um so getting gatak out there in, in different platforms to to be seen in the mainstream without uh without changing the integrity of the art you know right. or, or the fundamental uh intention of the art i guess mm -hmm. you could say because it's always evolving but it's um but there's a foundation of it and and also just uh having this as a a way for the community to connect in a positive way in the world i think that will be like a wonderful you know I, dance can be really healing and um and especially like this kind of yogic kind of a meditative practice like this like that mm -hmm. can be it's really healing and when you practice and like i mean especially in a time like this you know mm -hmm. i mean physically the exercise but also mentally the challenge and the power that you get it's empowering you know for for anybody to 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 do practice and then actually get the result um and having a community that's positively supporting each other around it and um and whatever level you're at like improving on that so i think having that that um that environment around um around the art form and i would love that to be my legacy too i'm sure it will be labonidi and yeah on that note want to bring this episode to a conclusion thanks a lot for joining me it was a really fun conversation we went a bit over but that's fine because i enjoyed what we we're talking about anyway so yeah thank you for having me and thanks ramit for creating this platform for you know uh kathak uh artists or practitioners or administrators around the world to to speak up about it and you know educate other people at the same time while telling their story I think that's that's awesome thing you're doing and um there's nothing like that right now uh and hasn't been and it opens up you know 
not only for audience members, but for so many Kathak dancers or aspiring Kathak dancers or students to learn from all of these people, you know, and get to know. I, I saw in your podcast so many people I I some of them I, I knew, but some of them I didn't. And it's it's awesome to hear their story and the impact they're making in their community and that corner of the world. So so thanks for, for doing this. 